Thanks for joining us on the bridge today. We hope today's sermon will create a connection between you and your Creator. Now God, He's always trying to bridge the gap between heaven and earth, which means that He's He's constantly reaching out for you. And maybe this podcast can provide a bridge for that connection to take place. So, my friend, what is God saying to you today? And today we're going to be talking about something called a rule of life. Um, and we're going to get into that just a little bit later. But what I want to, I want to start out this morning with some stats for you. In uh, 2017, a survey was done by Lifeway Research. And two-thirds of young adults at this time said they stopped going to church. For at least a year between the ages of 18 to 22. Now I don't want to start out on a sad note this morning, but I do think it's appropriate for for what we're going to be talking about this morning. So stay with me, all right? Focus. Stay with me this morning. The reasons they fell under four categories: nearly all six, uh, 96% cited life changes, including moving to college and work responsibilities that prevented them kept them from attending church. 73% said that there were pastor or church-related reasons led them to leaving the church. Of those, 32% said church members seemed judgmental or hypocritical. Pay attention to that. 29% of the people that left did not feel connected to others who attended. 70% named religious, ethical, or political beliefs for dropping out. Of those, 25% said that they disagreed with the church's stance on political or social issues, while 22% said that they were only attending to please someone else. You ever gone to church just to please somebody else? I'm telling you something. I went to church because my mom and dad made me go. I don't know about pleasing somebody. I just didn't begin, didn't want to get a, a whooping <laughs> for not going. <laughs> and 63% said student and youth ministry reasons contributed to their decisions not to go to church. Of those, 23% said they never connected with students in student ministry. And 20% said that, here we go, listen to it one more time, the students seemed judgmental and hypocritical. Now that's the bad news, okay? Everybody take a deep breath, breathe out. Bad news is over, okay? Now some of these things we can't do anything about. However, some of those reasons, and I'm just going to be straight and honest with you, fall squarely on the church's shoulders. Now, I'm not trying to throw a guilt trip on this today, but I think that we need to hear some of this this morning. When the 66%, uh, it's not all bad news, okay? So let me give you some good news. When the 66% who said they left picked reasons for leaving, only 10% said that they dropped out because they stopped believing in God. That's a small portion 
of people who just say, I don't believe in God anymore. So, you know. And so what's happening with people who, uh, especially young, young students who are leaving, is not that they don't believe in God anymore. So that's good news, right? That's a good thing. That means there's still hope. And it says some who stopped attending church had already returned back to church at the time the survey interviews. 31% of those who had dropped out as young adults said that they were currently attending twice a month or more. They were already going back to church. 39% said that they were attending church once a month or less than 29% were not going at all. So quite a few of them had returned to church already. Can we say praise the Lord? Lord. That's good news. Good news. Now, I want to read you a quote this morning from Gandhi. Now, hear me, Gandhi was not a Christian, so you will understand this quote when you read it this morning. If you, I like your Christ, I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. That's what Gandhi said. By the way, if you want to follow along today, we are up in the Bible app, and you can follow along. Now, this is a statement from the outside looking in. Gandhi was not a Christian, okay? He wasn't. He was not a follower of Jesus. And I think that this is how many people who are outside of the church feel about us. They on the outside looking in. And I think it's important for us to understand this because sometimes we're absolutely clueless as to what people think about us in the church. So what about people who are in the church, okay? Here's a quote from an author named uh, David Kinnaman, and he is a Christian author. I know you probably can't read that, but I put it up there anyway. It says, most people in America, when they are exposed to the Christian faith, are not being transformed. They take one step into the door, and the journey ends. They are not being allowed, encouraged, or equipped to love or think like Christ. Yet in many ways, a focus on spiritual formation fits what a new generation is really speaking. Transformation is a process, a journey, not a one-time decision. David Kinnaman from the book Unchristian, what a new generation really thinks about Christianity and why it matters. That's the name of the book. I want to... I have some underlined up there, and I want to focus in on that quote. It says, spiritual formation fits what a new generation is really seeking. Now, let's just be honest, okay? There are some people in the world today who, they care absolutely nothing about spiritual formation. They don't care if they look like Jesus or not. They're only living for for pleasure, for greed. They don't come to church because they just don't want to come to church. They don't come to church because they stayed out late Saturday night. Which, by the way, me and my wife were out at 7.30 last night trying to find us a place to eat. Every restaurant in town was completely packed. I'm like, it's so late. Why is everybody else so late eating? Of course, you know, we were in my crew too, so I'm judging people in here. But, true. The people are, they stay out so late on Saturday night, they just decide not to come to church. Or they just, they use other excuses like Christians are hypocrites, so I don't want to go to church. They actually use those excuses to not go to church because they just don't want to go. I mean, if you're looking really into their hearts, they just don't want to go. Now, however, 
when there are people who do come to church, especially the younger generation, it seems that what they're looking for is transformation. They don't like who they are. And they want to figure out how to become more like Jesus. And they come to church for that. And when they come to a church that doesn't look like Jesus, somebody help me preach this morning, when, I, when they come to a church that doesn't look like Jesus, they turn around and they walk out and they write it all off. That's right. It's not working. Look at these people. They look nothing like Jesus. I don't want to be like them when I grow up, so just forget this. I don't want to do this. And let's be real, church. Can we be real? You mind if I be real with you this morning? This ain't Jesus' fault. This is our fault. And the problem with the church is that we focus mostly on salvation and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's all we talk about. These are fantastic things, all right? I'm not trying to be negative here about that. But we totally ignore spiritual formation. So David Kinnaman, he goes on to say this. He says, transformation is a process, a journey, not a one-time decision. The one-time decision he's talking about is salvation. And yes, it's beautiful and it's amazing, but we tend to overlook the next step. Spiritual formation. Or how we, as let's just say in the church of God, prophecy, especially we know it as sanctification. Raise your hand if you've heard the term sanctification. Yeah, yeah, we all know that word now. Good, good. Now, I think the way we've understood it, and I think this is true, sanctification is not only the eradication of the desire from sin from your life. That is part of sanctification. To remove the desire to do the sins that you did before. That's a part of sanctification. Sometimes it happens slowly and sometimes, bam, you come down to the altar and God takes that desire from you. I know people who've done this. You know what? I want to look back at Charles right now. I'm proud of Charles. Charles, he quit smoking just like that. Dude, that's, that's like instant sanctification. Charles, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean to throw you out like that, but I'm proud of you. I'm really proud of you. But sanctification, it's not only the eradication of the desire to sin from your life. It's not just taking that away. But sanctification is also putting practices into place that cause you to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. In other words, it's not just not doing something, it's actually doing something. Look at this. Romans 6 and 19 says, I am speaking in human terms, and this is Paul, he says, because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members, presented your members as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, leading to a more lawless, uh, to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to, can somebody read that and tell me what it says? Leading to what? Hey, there's that word, ain't it? There's that word. So when Paul says to present your members, what he's not talking about is he's not talking about Brother Alvin. Right? You're not talking about members of church. 
He's not talking about, you know, Tony. He's not talking about presenting your members of the church. What he's talking about, he's talking about your physical members. He's talking about your hands and your feet and your, your eyes, thank you, your mouth. Present your members. He's talking about your physical body. When he says present your members as slaves to impurity, he's talking about actually practicing impurity. He's, he's, he's talking about things that we do. What's the name of the sermon series we're in? Do what matters. He's talking about things that we do with our human bodies that are impure. He's saying stop doing these things. Stop doing the things that are wrong. Right? That's a part of sanctification. But then he goes on to say this, present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. Now, in this scripture that we're looking at right here, can somebody just help me interpret this? What does it say leads to sanctification? Say it out loud. Righteousness. righteousness. Slaves to righteousness. It says, as slaves to righteousness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness. Present your members as slaves to righteousness. This leads to sanctification. Do you agree? You agree? Do you agree with what the Bible is saying there? Amen. In other words, practicing righteousness with your physical body. Not just staying away from sin and saying, oh, don't you do this and don't you do that, but actually engaging in some activities. Are you following me today? Yes. And I think so often in the church, what we when we talk about sanctification, when we talk about, well, let's just stop, we gotta stop all the smoking and can't smoke, can't bid, can't chew, can't drink, yes. That's what we talk about. That's what the church of God prophecies preach all the time. Stop doing this, stop doing that. And it lists a whole, you know, slew of things that you ain't supposed to do. And that's what we always thought. I mean, I'm just speaking for myself. I always thought that's what sanctification was. You stop doing that stuff. I'm going to get off my notes for just a minute, but somehow we tend to forget gossiping, backbiting. One of the Ten Commandments is covetousness. Do you know what covetousness is? It's jealousy. We don't talk about it. We didn't talk about those things because those were things that you can't really see. Now, I will tell you this much. You may not be able to see them, but people from the outside looking in can see them. You may be, you may be like, I don't smoke, and I don't drink, and I don't chew, and I don't run with those who do, right? <laughs> you may actually feel proud of yourself. But somebody looking from the outside in, what do they see? They see self-righteousness, don't they? We don't see that. There are, and I'm, I'm, there are some acceptable sins that are in the church. Some things that we overlook and we think are just fine. But can I tell you something? Jesus did not think they were fine. He confronted the Pharisees about these things and I'm going to be quite honest with you. When I read the Gospels, what I see is Jesus loving and being kind to sinners, but coming down hard on hypocrites. Amen. You see that in the Bible? Yeah. 
When you read the Gospels, is that what you see? Now, Brother Prince brought up a good point a few weeks ago when I was up here preaching, and I want to address it at this time, okay? If you're not careful right here, right here, you can get caught up in works-based righteousness. He brought this up. And if we're not careful talking about what I'm talking about, you can get caught up in works-based righteousness. And this is where the Pharisees went wrong. This is where they messed up. Let's get something clear right now. Isaiah 64 and 6 says, Well, we were all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are like filthy rags. I'm just going to stop right there. Say this with me. All my righteousness, all my righteousness is like filthy rags. Like filthy rags. <laughs> no, preacher, you should see my rags. They're pretty clean. Here we go again. Romans 30, 23-24 says, For all, say it with me, all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. All of us fall short. We're all short. I don't care who you are. Paul says you're short. Okay? Now for some of you who are vertically challenged in here today, don't be offended because Paul, the Scripture tells us that Paul was short. Okay? So he knows what it feels like. But that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that. He, you and I, we cannot earn our salvation. Do you understand that? I don't know if you've heard this stuff probably preached before, but I need to bring it to the forefront here. We cannot earn our salvation. Works-based righteousness does not work. It doesn't work. So how are we saved, or as the Bible uses, another term it uses, justified, and you can see it up there in Scripture, how are we justified? It says freely by His grace. Do you see that? You can't earn it. You can't earn it. It's a gift. And if you want it this morning, it's available for you. Ain't nothing you can do to earn it. And that's the awesome thing about it. He just freely gives this gift away. Look at this. Romans 3 and 20 says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Nothing you can do will justify you. Nothing. Not a thing. Because our righteousness are as filthy rags. You can try every day for the rest of your life. Look at your neighbor and tell them, give them a wake-up call. Tell them, say, your rags are filthy. Your rags are dirty. You see, righteousness in God's eyes comes to you and I through another avenue. Now, I want to press pause here because I want you to hear something. Righteousness in God's eyes comes from salvation. Amen. Amen. But let's just, that's God looking at us. That's not man looking at us. Do you understand what I'm saying? When you are sanctified, you begin, you begin to be conformed to the image of Christ. And when Somebody looks at you, they see Jesus. Or what Jesus would be like if he were you. 
when you become, when you begin to become sanctified and you begin to live a transformed life, then that is where the outsider they see somewhat righteousness, right? But our righteousness are as filthy rags. When God looks at you, He sees righteousness, but only because of Jesus. Check this out. Now, it was not written for His sake alone that it was imputed to Him. Now, I don't know if you know what that word means, but it's pretty much it was given to you. It was also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in Him and who raised up for Jesus our Lord from the dead, and therefore it was accounted to Him for righteousness. It was imputed to us. It was given to us. We are made righteous in the sight of God only by the free gift of salvation that is only through Jesus Christ. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Scripture says, I am the way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so when I talk about practicing the way of Jesus, I'm not talking about works-based righteousness, okay? I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about spiritual formation through spiritual disciplines. Now, quite frankly, I'm preaching about this because I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't hear much about it. Growing up in a church of God prophecy. We mostly heard about salvation and speaking in tongues. That's what we heard about. Either that or the things that we did wrong. We, you don't need to do this. Don't do that. You know, that was the main messages that I heard in the church of God of prophecy. Now, let me read to you a quote from the book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. It says this. Whatever you call them, these habits practices or spiritual disciplines are how that we follow Jesus. How that we adopt his lifestyle. How we create space for emotional health and spiritual life. Raise your hand if you would like to have emotional health and spiritual life. Sign me up, please. And like all habits, that are, they are a means to an end. This is where well-meaning religious people go wrong. When the spiritual disciplines, Bible reading, prayer, Sabbath, and so on, when they become an end in and of themselves, you've arrived at legalism, which is what Brother Prince was talking about, which is what the Pharisees were guilty of. And it says it is death and it is not life. He goes on to say this. And he's talking about the practices when they're done with the proper motive and the proper heart as Jesus did them. The end is life to the full with Jesus. How does that sound? Does that sound good? The end is to spend every waking moment in the conscious enjoyment of Jesus' company. How does that sound? Constantly living in the presence of God. Isn't that just a great thought? Let's look at another verse. It says, this is 1, John 14 and 6. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Now, if you believe the truth, do you see underline it says the truth? If you believe the truth of John 3, 16, somebody quote it for me. Boom, you know it. Awesome. And if you believe that truth, 
then you're going to have eternal life. However, if you accept, would you look, there's two other things. There's two things in this verse. There is, I am the way, the truth. The truth. If you accept the truth of who Jesus is as eternal life, how, and, and that's good. However, if you accept Jesus' way of living life here on earth, then you will have abundant life here on earth. At least that's what John 10.10 10 tells us. Uh, it says, uh, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that they may have abundant life. Do you see it this morning? Accepting and believing the truth leads to eternal life. But practicing the way of Jesus leads to abundant life here on earth. We don't just have to settle for heaven later. God wants us to have an abundant, Jesus wants us to have an abundant life here on earth. Amen? You see, practicing the ways of Jesus leads to abundant life. Practicing the ways of Jesus leads to the fruits of the Spirit, which are amazing. That's a list that we all need to have and would love to have. Who wants love, joy, and peace? Raise your hand. I want it. Works-based salvation is concerned with getting you into heaven. Or it could be concerned with how you look in front of everybody else, right? That's works-based salvation. But following Jesus is concerned with bringing heaven to earth. You might be, if, if you're really just worried about works-based salvation, you're worried about getting yourself into heaven. But if you're really concerned with following Jesus, you're worried about bringing heaven to earth. As Jesus said when he taught us how to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is. Or maybe when we pray, we should say in Dyersburg, as it is in heaven. In my home, as it is in heaven. In my heart, as it is in heaven. In my speech, as it is in heaven. In my family, as it is in heaven. Are you following me this morning? You see, both Jesus, think about this for a moment, both Jesus and the Pharisees read Scripture. Right? Yeah? Both Jesus and the Pharisees prayed. Both Jesus and the Pharisees fasted. Right? Both Jesus and the Pharisees practiced Sabbath. And on and on and on. There's nothing wrong with practicing these things unless your motive is off. If you think about it, the only difference was the reason why that they did these things, these practices of Jesus. In fact, Jesus used all of these things, all of these practices to train his disciples and did some other things as well. Now, whether you know it or not, you already have some spiritual practices in your life. And some of you are thinking, oh yeah, I pray. Oh yeah, I come to church. Oh yeah, I do. And that's great. Those are spiritual practices. But that's not actually what I'm talking about. What I want you to know is that everything that you do, what's the name of the series again? Do. Everything that you 
do impacts your soul. Whether it's good or whether it's bad. And the question for you to ponder is this. Do your spiritual practices lead to formation or deformation? Did you know that watching pornography is a spiritual practice? It's a spiritual practice that leads to the deformation of your soul. It deforms your soul. It doesn't make you look any more like Jesus. I hate to say it, but all of our souls are somewhat deformed in some way because we're still this side of heaven. Jesus hasn't returned yet. None of us are perfect yet. We're working on it. But we all still have some dysfunctions in our life that we need to work out as we follow Jesus and as we become more like Him. Did you know that gossip deforms your soul? Watching Netflix can either deform or form your soul. It depends on what you watch. Depending on what you watch. Cheating deforms your soul. It makes you look less like Jesus. Now, in the same way, praying is a practice that was and is formative to our souls. When we pray and do it for the right reasons, it forms your soul and shapes us into the likeness of Christ. Amen? You guys are quiet this morning. Are y'all awake? And so here we're going to come back to this initial what we started out with. In the same way, we all have a rule of life. Now, what is a rule of life? What is a rule of life? I want to read scripture to you real quick. John 15. I'm not going to have it up here. I've got it in the Bible here. It's, uh, John 15. And I'm going to start in verse 1. Jesus speaking. He says, I am the true vine. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, He takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes. I mean, ever feel like you've been pruned? I, yeah. I don't want to look like a prune, but sometimes I feel like I've been pruned. <laughs> that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Amen. I can't. Unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He's talking about the fruit of the Spirit, don't he? Far apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. And he ends with this. He says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. That you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Now this is one of Jesus' most important teachings on spiritual growth. And that's what we're talking about today, church. Is spiritual growth. 
Not just getting our ticket to heaven and sitting down and waiting on God to come back and get us, but pressing forward, leaning in, becoming more conformed to the likeness of Christ. Now, in a vineyard, there is something uh, that he just got through talking about fruits and the vines. So in a vineyard, there is something underneath every vine. Do you see that up there? It's a picture of a modern-day vineyard. And you see the vine going across the top. It's up off of the ground. Those are the grapes right there. This is what a vineyard looks like. Now, what is underneath that vineyard is called a trellis. Or what's underneath that vine is called a trellis. A trellis. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that. Trellis. Okay. The trellis is a structure for the vine to grow on. And a rule of life serves the same purpose as a trellis does for a grapevine. A vine, if a vine doesn't have a trellis, it's going to die. The vine doesn't have something underneath it to support the structure, to support it, it's going to die. So what am I talking about when I say a rule of life? I know some of you probably have never heard of it. I haven't really heard of it either until recently. But... Here's what it is. A rule of life is a schedule and a set of practices to set up abiding with Jesus as the central pursuit in your life. Write that down or whatever. That's, that's a working definition of a rule of life. It's a way to organize all of your life around the practices of the presence of God. Now I know what you're going to say. I don't want a rule of life. I don't like that word rule. I don't like rules. So I'm here to tell you, it is too late. You already have a rule of life. You just don't know. Everybody in here does. You all got one. All right? You say, I don't want it. I don't care. That's fine. No matter if you want it or not, you got it. You all have a rule of life. You have practices and habits and a schedule in your life, no matter how random that it is, you have them already in your life. You already have a rule of life. It may be intentional, but most of all rules of life, they're not intentional. They're unintentional. The question is, is your trellis, your rule of life, is it resulting in life? That's the question. Is your rule of life resulting in spiritual formation or spiritual deformation? Are you becoming more like Christ as a result of your spiritual, uh, as your rule of life, or are you becoming more like the world? Now, what I'm proposing to you is not a new idea at all. This ain't something that Jeremy just made up. Well, Jeremy got a cool idea. Let me put, nope, this ain't me. Okay. Here recently, there's been a lot of buzz in the self-help world about a fixed calendar. It helps people get the most out of their day. Now, what is a fixed calendar? A fixed calendar basically is something, it's a calendar, and what you do is you organize your life on this calendar, and you say, well, you know what? I'm at my best in the morning, so in the morning time, I'm going to do my prayer, my exercise, whatever. You line all this stuff up on your calendar, and you say, this is, you know, this is, a, this is what... Uh, a fixed schedule looks like. And it's just recently, like self-help people, they're all talking about this and how that you can get more out of your life if you follow a fixed schedule rather than if you just float around going from thing to thing. Now, here's what you need to hear. 
This idea has been around since at least the third century. It's nothing new. It was developed in Christian monasteries a long time ago. I'm going to tell you, self-help pretty much is just they take, they take stuff out of the Bible and away from Jesus and they put Jesus out and they say, let's just do this and, and leave Jesus over here. God is usually there before everybody else gets there. And if you go to a monastery, even today, they still operate by a fixed hour schedule. They have a rule of life. I'm not saying that this is what you've got to do, but just listen to me for a moment. If you go to a monastery today, you go in there, um, they will have a bell, ding, a bell that rings every so often. When that bell rings, the monks or whoever they are, they're working, they drop what they're doing, and they go and pray when they hear that Several times a day, they, they have fixed hour prayer where they pray three times a day. They're gonna, that's what they're going to do. And their entire life, it's a rule of life. And their entire life is fixed around practicing the presence of God. Is that such a bad thing? No. I think it's pretty awesome, actually. Everybody hold this piece of paper up. Repeat after me. This is my trellis. This is my trellis. Now, maybe you can use it or not use it, whatever you want to do, but I'm giving you the opportunity to use it now. Some of you may actually use it for the trellis for your spiritual practices. Now, I'm giving this to you because as we go through these spiritual practices this year, you can learn about them and add them to your rule of life as we go. Okay? And add them to your rule of life as we go. If you're interested, you will be using this thing probably most of the year. So don't throw it away. Hold on to it. Maybe even keep it here. I don't know. Make a copy of it. Bring it. Put it in your Bible. Bring it back with you when you come. You might want to make copies of this because let me tell you something. This document, if you use it, should be constantly changing in your life. Because your life is constantly changing. It's never the same. And everyone's rule of life will look different because their stage of life and their station of life. It's going to look different because you're a different person than I am. These practices are organized around three main goals as followers of Jesus. Three goals that we all should have. Pick it up. Take a look at the top. It says goals. As you go across, number one goal is what? Be with Jesus. Number two. Number three. Those are pretty good things, ain't they? Those are those are some things that all followers of Christ should have. These are some goals that all followers of Christ should have. Now, you need to understand that there might be some overlap when it comes to these categories. For instance, we've already covered fasting this past this past month. We uh, covered fasting. Now. Look at this thing and ask yourself, where will I put the practice of fasting in my rule of life? These are spiritual practices. Where am I going to put it? Am I going to put it um, under, be with Jesus, under abiding? Because honestly, 
If you remember the seven biblical reasons for fasting that we went over, if you choose reason number one, it says to feed the spirit and starve the flesh, you might actually put it under body. Or if you're wanting to know what God's will, you're fasting and you want to know what God's will is in a situation, you might put it under abiding because when you when you know God's will, you are abiding. So there's some freedom here for you to, to put things where you need to put them. Everybody's just going to look different. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes, no, that makes sense to you. Everybody's just going to look different. Now, the cool thing about this is as we go, you can have a visual of your wife. You can see, does my life line up with these three goals? To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. And as you write in your practices, you can see them. Now, your practice for this week, should you choose to accept it, dum, 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 is to take the one practice that we have already talked about, which is fasting, and figure out where you're going to put it. Are you going to do it at all? If so, are you going to do it daily? Are you going to do it weekly? Are you going to do it monthly, quarterly, annually? You put the day on there, however you want to. And Okay? That is your practice for this week. Now, if you're on the Bible app today, there is some extra information for you on the Bible app. I have a section that says, how do I draft or how do I craft a rule of life? It goes into detail about it, a little more detail than what I'm doing, you know, today. And uh, so... Remember to start slow with this. Don't go through there and just start throwing in everything because you ain't going to do it. If you try to change your life too fast, it ain't going to happen. You have to gradually do these things. That's how Jesus changes us. We walk with him and he slowly changes us. We slowly begin to look more like him. Amen? So slowly add some things to this. Now, I need to confess something to you this morning. I'm sure some of you noticed the difference in me in the past two weeks. Um, something happened in my life that shook me. Not in a good way, in a bad way. I was very upset with God. Okay. And I'm confessing this to you, my church, today. And the reason I'm doing this is because this is, I think, the way the church should be done. I don't think we should go on hiding things from each other. I think you are my family. We're all family. And I think that openness is important. So, something happened that jolted me, and I was angry. I'm sure you could tell in the past couple of weeks the, the difference in me. I told God I was not going to breathe a prayer to Him. Not going to sing a song to Him. Not going to read Scripture until He changed that thing in my life. Now, listen closely to me. Don't do this. Okay? I'm confessing a sin right now. Don't do this, okay? I'm not trying to get you to follow me into that path. Don't do that. But it happened. 
and I got angry with God. And for the past two weeks, I'm sure you noticed, I haven't sang. I played the guitar, but I didn't sing. I didn't pray either. I asked people to pray for me. I trying to take communion. I didn't take communion. I was angry at God. Okay. But I'll tell you this much. All along, I felt him tugging at me, pulling at me, coming after me, just like that song said. It was all I could do to resist him, to be honest with you. Now, before we go any further, let me tell you what I've done. Okay, not long, you know, just, I guess, Earlier this past week, I couldn't take it anymore. I got down in my office in the basement, and I, there's no carpet. There's no nothing there. It's a dirty floor, folks, okay? I laid face down on that floor, and I repented. And I asked God to forgive me. And I swept him. Fill me up immediately. So relief. And on top of that, I used what we talked about. I fasted. Tell you what I've done. I fasted for from sunup to sundown, and I felt God just fill me with His love and with His joy. Like all along, He was tugging at me, pulling me, wanted me to come back. And so that's what's been up with me for the past couple of weeks, church. You forgive me? Thank you. Now, the reason I'm telling you that, one reason is I just feel like this is what I'm supposed to do, but another reason is this. If it were not for the practices on my trellis, let me tell you what I missed. Oh, I missed my mornings with Jesus so bad. I missed, I mean, I, there, were, now, there were times I'd sit down to eat and I'd be like, Nope, not doing it. Or I would automatically, because it's just a habit in me, I would automatically just start talking to God. God, what do you think? Shut up, shut up. Because it's a habit. Something that is ingrained in me so deeply that I couldn't hardly fight it. Are you following me? And even though I was not in a good way, those habits were still drawing me back to him. I'd be driving along, right? And I'd catch myself singing oh, some kind of song to Jesus. And I'd be like, stop, no! I was angry. I know this is not a good thing, but what I'm trying to tell you is that these practices are so important to our life. It's not legalistic. But they transform your heart. They transform your desires. And it was just pure relief when I finally sat down the next morning. No, it wasn't that morning. It was that, that evening when I laid on my face in my office. I immediately grabbed, I read Psalm 51 over and over that day. Over and over. I read it over myself. I repented of the Lord. And then, and then, you know, after I sat down at my desk and I just sang worship songs, all the things that I missed doing, I had to do them. You do what matters. And it changes you. 
God changes you. You follow me this morning. Do you understand? I'm not talking about legalism. I'm talking about doing what matters and organizing your life around what matters. Organizing your life around Jesus. Now what I've given you, you can take it, use it or not use it, but what I encourage you to do is to take a good look at your life. Because if you don't, other people are. People are looking at you. People outside like Gandhi are looking at you. Well, Gandhi's dead, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> people, young people, children, everybody, they're looking at us. And if we don't look like Jesus, why would they ever consider trying to be anything like us? Which, we don't want them to be like us. We want them to be like God. But if they don't see a reflection of Christ, if they don't see the image of God in us, they don't see Jesus reflected. If we're not conformed to the image of Christ as best as we can, then our opportunity for ministering to other people is going to go out the door. And people will continue walking away. Now, I'm not trying to put pressure on you and say, hey, the kingdom of God is on you right now. you got to do right. That's not at all what I'm trying to say. But when you begin to live life, when you begin to, like, let's just say it fast, pray, read your Bible. When you begin to go to church and get in community and do the things that Jesus as he walked through life, you saw him doing these things because it was a biography. If you read the Gospels, what you're reading is his life and you look at what he did and as you start to pattern your life after what Jesus did, then some things are going to happen in your life. You're going to be happy. You're going to find the fruits of the Spirit are just going to start springing up in you because you're doing what matters. Practicing the way of Jesus. So what I'm proposing to you is that we reorganize our life. We reorganize the things that we do. Raise your hand if you fasted with me. I hope and pray that some fantastic things happen in your life as a result of that. I want you to know there's more things than Jesus did to just pray fast and read his Bible. There's more. And we're going to go over it this year. We're going to look at them. Okay? Anyway, I have yelled and stomped enough. I want to end in prayer this morning. Father in heaven, as we come to you, Jesus. Father, I'm speaking passionately right now, God, because I desperately believe what I'm talking about. I believe that if we would change our lives to look like yours. That if we will change the way our life looks, Father, if the habits and the practices in our life will be gathered around, Father, you, so that what we do, Lord, will just bring us closer to you and in your presence, Father, if we will do these things, God, not only will we just make it to heaven, but somehow, God, we can bring heaven to earth. In Dyersburg, as it is in heaven, I love you and I praise you. And I ask you, Jesus, to help walk with us this week. Let us see, Father, what we can do and how we can 
And just make our lives go around these practices and around you, Father. We love you. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name in Dyersburg as it is in heaven. Everybody say amen.